everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Civ Show podcast, where we suck so you don't have to. I'm your host, Moisas. Raising Zozo. And I got my power bat turned back on, so Nystagmus is here. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a very special guest. We have uh, QA lead, Francis QA lead, Carl Borderline Harrison. Welcome on the show, bud. Thanks Woo! for being here. Really Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to be here. Really excited to have you on, man. Really excited to, to kind of dive into this new frontier pass and this new journey for civilization and kind of even like gaming in general with every every game kind of coming out with season passes and everything and civilization following. It's, it's a neat idea. But let's first start with uh, you. So you let's just start with the like basic questions. Uh, how how long have you been at Firaxis? Nearly 10 years now, I think. Yeah, it's been a long time. I started back. Um, with the Civ 5 expansions, um, and I've been there for, for every one of the Civ 5 expansions, Beyond Earth, um, and of course now Civ 6. And then uh, what, for pe- to give people some context, uh, what, what exactly does a QA lead do? So QA is quality assurance. So we test, um, we test the game to make sure that it's functional to uh, iron out bugs that we encounter. Um, and then... Uh, we want to make sure that uh, the game is balanced satisfactorily and that it's fun. And that's a big part of my job description is making sure that the game is fun to play. So f- fun to play doesn't necessarily mean balanced. Is that what I'm hearing? No, no, they're not mutually exclusive. Um, <laughs> so uh, there's there's a lot that goes into balance for a game like Civ, right? I mean, there's a lot that goes into balance for any game, but for a game like Civilization that has so much replayability, so many different ways to approach it with different leaders for the same civilization, different civilizations that you can play, um, all the different parts and pieces that go into it modularly to to make every single game experience unique um, with so many maps, so many difficulty levels, and now so many game modes with the new Frontier Pass. There's uh, a lot to consider when it comes to game balance. we have to consider the brand new player who's picking Civ up for the very first time. And we have to consider the person who's been playing since Civ 1, who plays Deity regularly and wins very quickly um, and often. We have to consider the multiplayer community. And we have to consider uh, the people that like to uh, try to um, maximize the potential of something. So we just released Portugal, for example, um, who gets uh, trade routes for meeting new civilizations. Obviously, the more civilizations that are in your game, the crazier that gets. We can't balance the core mechanics of that around playing on the tiniest map size and the largest map size every single time. There has to be some kind of middle ground there. So when people uh, dive into a game and they like to experience that kind of like crazy but just fun uh, mechanic and they want to maximize it out on a huge map that's that's absolutely an option there for them but that's not necessarily what we balance the civilization around right because all of those things have to be considered at the same time well, part of what i like about that is you kind of give the user the option to whether you want to play a balanced game or whether you just kind of want to have fun with it right so that the, the more civilizations they put in the game yeah it's going to get more unbalanced because they're going to get more trade routes but that's their choice that's user's choice right i kind of like that you you did something like that. Is there any other like Civ that you kind of almost have like a user's choice? Like if, if you have a certain setting, uh, it's more unbalanced than others. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, there's there's plenty of examples of that. You know, you could you could play a Highlands map that has lots of hills and then play a hill based civilization like Gaul or the Inca. 
you could play a cold map or a um, tilted axis map uh, where the um, ice is on the inside instead of at the poles um, and and then play a, a cold or tundra based civilization like Russia. Um, or you could uh, play a Terra map where you start all civilizations start on one continent and the other continent is completely empty and you can play a civilization that gets uh, the ability to sail over ocean very early like Maori or Norway and go and settle on that new landmass entirely to yourself. Um, so there's absolutely tons of combinations exactly like that within the game. And that's intentional. Like, you, like you're saying, we want that to be player choice. We want the player base to have the option to replay the game however they want to. And that was a big driving factor behind the game modes in New Frontier Pass that, as Anton keeps putting it, are the uh, toppings on your Civilization ice cream sundae. <laughs> Did you have to specify ice cream sundae this time? Uh, it sounds good, right? I mean, everyone likes ice cream. So. Well, it, I think it's pretty apt, you know, just like other toppings for Crazy Sundays are clear favorites, right? Like you have yeah. your you have your chocolate chips like the Secret Societies, right? Everyone uses Secret Societies now. <laughs> and then you have your cherry on top like uh, Barbarian Clans. Yeah, or your <laughs> heroes, you know, your heroes where King Arthur comes and uh, <laughs> helps you conquer, <laughs> helps you conquer everybody really quickly. Speaking to balance, like, uh, it could become very unbalanced, say, when everybody's like, don't trade with Portugal and don't build your, your cities on the coast. And uh, I'll only allow you to have open borders for 50 gold so that you can come and build stuff over here. And then I'm going to declare war on you. And then you're not going to have any trade routes with anybody. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> that happened last that Sunday, happened folks, in case Sunday. you didn't include that. Yeah. Right, absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's part he's, of the... Um, not bitter. <laughs> no, not at all. That's part of our consideration <laughs> uh, when we are working on the civilization's balance is that exact kind of thing. Not just how um, the map itself or your own personal playstyle with a civilization can, uh, can change the way that their abilities work, but also the way that other players are able to impact those abilities. So in the case of Portugal, um, what uh, Zoe is talking about here is Portugal can only trade over ocean, over water, and so if there aren't any coastal cities for them to trade with, their trading partners get very narrow very quickly. And so other players can purposefully not settle along the coastline, which in our game on, on Sunday, this past Sunday, I was purposefully doing that. Um, and that's, that is something that, that we have to take into consideration, right? Is, is to say like, yes, they have this amazing ability with a pretty strong malice or negative part of the ability to go along with it. And that malice can then be exploited by other players in the game. And, and that's intentional. Which also may bring in the difference balances between multiplayer and single player, because I think it'd be rare for the computers to exploit that quite the same way it was exploited against Zoe in that game with human players. You'd be surprised. Um, I've been I've been, as you guys know, um, I, I watch a lot of uh, streams, Civ streams in the community, and um, I've seen several since the launch of Portugal where they're trying to trade with uh, with the AI and the AI keeps settling one tile inland. Um, so you'd oh, be wow. surprised right. how, how often things like that can come up. I did not know that they would know to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to I want to dive into like exactly how a sieve gets balanced. So you 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 you're in charge of the testing. You're in charge of the balance. What's the process like? You have an idea. You have a sieve. How do you test if 
it's shippable we'll say sure yeah um shippable is is uh has a lot attached to it right there's there's a lot of things that go into that um of course it, it can't be from a from a systems perspective it can't be broken it has to actually work right so that's that's a big part of shippable in terms of of the game itself um we have to make sure uh that it's as bug free as we can possibly get it um we have to make sure that uh you know when you when you pick that civilization or that leader that you're able to get into the game appropriately, that all of their abilities actually function. Um, and that's all the technical side of quality assurance. And, and it's a big part of our job is making sure that all of those things happen. But then you're also talking about the balance and, and how that is shippable. Um, that's a little bit more flexible because we have the, the opportunity to, to do patches uh, post-release to help with balance. Um, and that's actually been a big driving factor behind the release schedule of New Frontier Passes. We knew that it would allow us to engage with the community more frequently and to engage with patches more frequently so that we can do smaller but, but more often uh, balance tweaks and updates to the game. Uh, which is why we were able to do some crazier things with the New Frontier Pass civilizations than we have done in the past because we have this quick turnaround time with frequent uh, but smaller patches uh, to address that kind of thing. So what goes into to balancing, right? That was your, your big question there. When we are looking at balance, we look at it from a ton of different perspectives. And I talked a little bit about this earlier. We, we have to look at it from the perspective of a brand new player. And that means that we, as the testers and as experienced testers, have to try to put ourselves in that mindset. We have to say, forget everything we know and approach the game from uh, from the first-time player perspective. And sometimes we will bring in people who have never played either Civilization before or played that Civ before or the um, expansion or, or, in this case, New Frontier Passes content before and have them actually do that. But we'll try to do that ourselves and put ourselves into that mindset and approach it that way. Um, we'll also have to play the, the maximum, you know, play it on deity level and try to win as fast as we possibly can. We have to do it on Prince. We have to do it, which is the, the default, the normal difficulty level. Then we have to, um, we have to test it on different map sizes. We have to test it against different, uh, other civilizations in single player to test it against the AI. We have to play against that civilization and see how their AI handles it. And then the last step is taking it into multiplayer and playing it against other people because human players are always going to be better, always going to handle the, these abilities and the kit better. So we have to test against other people. That means both examining what the abilities do and how they feel when you are playing as that civilization, when you are playing against that civilization, and when that civilization is playing against itself. So we will have multiplayer games where multiple people pick the same civilization to test it from uh, within the same game. So we have those those direct points of comparison, but in different start locations and everyone competing for the same things. Right. Because wonders or great people are first come, first serve. So if one person is able to snag something before somebody else, we're able to directly see how that that relates to to. Uh, the same civilization having something stolen like that, um, how different start locations affect the numbers. And we do this over and over and over and over again. Of course, at the same time, we're also running automated testing. We run auto plays where the AI is the only player in the game 
and they're playing the games over and over and over and over again as well. Van Bradley showed us that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We grab data from all of these games. Um, We'll look at uh, city counts. We'll look at um, yield numbers, both at the empire level and the individual city level. So we'll take like, what are our top three cities and grab all of the yields from those cities. Um, We look at wonder counts. We look at great person counts. Um, and we record all of these things for, say, every 50 turns, every 100 turns, every 150 turns, et cetera, et cetera. And then we'll have these uh, tables of this data and be able to look at, OK, over the course of X number of games on these settings. And of course, the settings are constantly changing, too, because there's so many of them. And we try to cover as much as we can. We'll we'll take a look at all of those different data points and see where the strengths are, see where the weaknesses are, see um, what the similarities are between all the different games, whether it's the same settings or different settings, um, and take all of those different things into consideration for how we approach the balance of a sieve or the balance of a district or the balance of, you know, units in the game, everything goes through that process. And like, and I guess you don't always get it right, even with all that testing, which just shows how like right. and a good example of that is like airplanes, uh, you know, from vanilla to now, the airplane has gone through such a revision. Now there there's a point to building them. But I remember when the game first came out, it's just like, oh, my God, fighters yeah. suck. Why? Why? Why would I ever do this? Like, <laughs> right. It needs its own district. They don't do much damage. They die really easily. Um, but now they're great. But like you obviously tested them when they first came out and they seemed OK. Um, but then, you know, so how, what goes into that? Like where you have to decide, OK, now we have to change this. Like, like, obviously, you don't make that decision lightly, right? No, not at all. Um, there is a lot that goes into those kinds of rebalancing decisions. And, and it's oftentimes from data as well. Um, so I want to I chop this question up in a, into a couple of different parts. Um, first, um, I want to look at um, how we miss something like that, how something can go into the game and not be quite as well balanced as we would like it to be. And the second part, I would like to look at um, how we address uh, rebalancing after something is already out in the public, right? So part A, when we're when we're working on something, um, you know what? I, I'm going to pull up a calculator very quickly. I should have done this before. I knew that, that I would have to answer this at some point. But if we have... <laughs> <laughs> it's like we all have calculators in our pockets nowadays. Well, this came up... Th- yeah, right. It, this came up last week when we were just, just talking. And, and I, I said then, I don't have a calculator in front of me. And I, so I should have done the math ahead of time and I didn't do it. Right. So, um, if, uh, we have a team of 10 people working 40 hours a week, right? That's 400 hours of, of game time, assuming all of it is spent in the game, which of course it isn't because we have to get the build. We have to update the game, right? There's discussions about balance that happen, but even if we're playing 100% of our work time is spent in the game, that's 400 hours a week, right? And if we, if we work 52 weeks a year, that's 20,800 hours. So let's say 21,000 hours. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Well, if 50,000 people buy the game or buy a content pack, because the, all the new frontier pass packs were sold individually as well. And they play for one hour, uh, immediately upon launch, which definitely happens. If you go in and look at steam's, uh, uh, telemetry data for you know concurrent players when it, when we have a launch like that you can see how many people are on and it's more than that 
Um, that's 50,000 hours. And we only had 21,000 hours over the course of an entire year working on the game, right? So in the first hour, there has been more or there have been more people looking at the game um, or more gameplay seen than we had the entire time that we were able to test it. Um, and that's just just an example. Again, we're not actually able to spend that much time um, working solely in the game because we have those kinds of balance discussions. We have meetings. We have to get an update to build. And of course, we don't work 52 weeks a year. People have vacations and things like that, too. Um, right. And and then more than 50,000 people are playing the game. So that's, you know, those numbers are huge. So when, when something goes into the game and then immediately afterwards, within the first day or first week or first month after release, you see you see bugs getting reported and people are going, how weren't these caught? Or you see balance issues getting reported, like, say, with airplanes. And people are saying, how did they think that this was OK? Well, that's why, because we, you know, it, airplanes come in very late in the game. Right. And so we've had to play, you know. 2100 hours or 21,000 hours of the game. Well, how many of those hours were spent just with airplanes, right? There's only so much time that we have that we can, that we can uh, assign to or uh, devote to all this stuff. Um, so uh, we're able to look at as much as we can, but there's still a limited time there. And then that gets into the public's hands and the public are like, I want to do only airplanes all the time. And they, you know, they dump 50,000 hours into just <laughs> airplanes <laughs> And a good portion of those 50,000 people are specifically looking for exploits. Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we are too granted. Certain but again, that drinker, the time yeah. difference there, 21,000 hours, we can't spend all of it looking for exploits. And then we have people spending 50,000 hours total cumulatively looking just for exploits. Like there's a huge difference there. Um, so that's how things like that happen. Right. So we'll, we will balance it to the best of our ability, to the best of what we think we have based on our data and then within one hour of a launch there has already been more data collected than we could ever possibly put into it and this is not just a thing with fraxis or with civilization this is the case for every single video game that ever gets published um, and it's it's how you see those kinds of things come out in the public so yes that's that's the initial part of that we will we will balance to the best of our ability to the best of our ability is not necessarily to the public satisfaction. And that's, that's the case even when we do think that, that even after the fact it's right. And, and again, I'm going to go back to Portugal with this. We've seen a lot of comments, or at least I've seen a lot of comments since Portugal has released saying Portugal is mm. so OP. We just talked about this, right? Um, yeah, okay. Portugal is so OP and we're like, well, but you're playing on a huge map with like an archipelago setup. So there's tons of water. Well, if you play on continents and it's a small map, which is what we have to balance the core of the abilities around, uh, then it's way more balanced, especially if you're doing something like other players are settling inland kind of thing, like we were saying. So, uh, you know, when, when that comes in with the, with the exploit kind of situation. So players will, will purposefully um, try to exploit the game to the best of their ability because it's fun. And we, that's the player choice. We want players to be able to do that. That's the glory of civilization. There's so many different options and ways to approach it. And that's, that's intentional, but it does mean that you can create these crazy combinations. So then we get the feedback that, that something isn't balanced correctly. 
when that's not necessarily what we were balancing against, at least all of the time. So that's part A. Part B. What was part B? <laughs> part B was after the fact. I don't remember. <laughs> okay. Part B Great was, um, uh, was when something has already come out. Again, we'll go back to airplanes. How does uh, how do we approach rebalance? Um, so right, okay. a big driving factor behind rebalance is that data that we are then collecting from the public. And that comes in the form of uh, reports on uh, on forums like Reddit, Symfonatics, Steam. There's, there's dozens of them out there, right? We're in there. We're checking them. We're reading posts uh, as, as frequently as we can. We're gathering data from game reports, from bug reports, all, all kinds of things like that. There is also a bug reporting system, and, and when like if you get a crash, you might have that pop-up that says, would you like to submit this? So we do get some data from that as well um, if you click yes on that. And then uh, you know we're watching people's YouTube videos. We're watching people's live streams. We're reading people's minds. Yes, the, the yeah, mind reading machines. Know, I can do we that. discussed that. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we're getting the data from after the fact, and we're, we're hearing everybody's opinions. And when we hear something often enough, we go, okay, this is coming up a lot. Let's take another look at it. And so then we do what I was talking about earlier, where we do all kinds of data sets. We do the autoplays, we do single player data sets, and we do multiplayer games where we're doing all kinds of different comparisons. And we'll take a look at whatever system it is, whatever bug it is, or whatever balance problem it is, and um, we'll, we'll just examine it again to the best of our ability. And so we'll say, okay, they, the community thinks this, this is what our data says. And then we'll compare those two points and we'll see, okay, do, do our data points line up with what the community says? Oftentimes, yes, that is the case. And we'll go, that means that there definitely needs to be a balance change here. And we'll, we will adjust it based on both the community feedback and our data. And we'll test those changes. Again, that comes back to you asking about what is, what is shippable. We have to make sure that it works, right? That's that's a key part of it is we always have to make sure that it, that everything is working properly. So we'll t- test to make sure that it works, test to make sure that uh, the new balance feels appropriate. So that means regathering all of that data. This is not a short process. <laughs> we have to regather all the data with the new numbers. And then we have to um, – we have to also see if it's fun. Are the new changes, the new implementations fun to play with? If if all of them are good to go, then it becomes shippable again. Uh, it might not be. Sometimes we'll go through multiple iterations and we'll have to make another change and then we'll have to do the whole process all over again. We'll have to make sure that everything is not broken. We have to make sure that everything is balanced with the new numbers. But uh, – that's that's effectively how we approach something once it's come out. We have to get enough uh, reports on it, or it could be that we get enough reports on it internally. If enough of our testers are saying this is not working right, this is not does not feel good, does not work out right, then we'll we'll potentially reconsider something from that as well. But a big driving factor behind balance changes to things that have already come out do come from the public. We really try to I guess listen. This is what happened to Earth Goddess. That's what happened to Earth Goddess. Is like having two. It went from two faith to one faith, right? Just everyone picking it because it was so yeah. So ubiquitous. It was it was everyone picking it all the time, and then also the amount of faith that was coming from it. Um, pantheons are not necessarily meant to be 
this huge buff that lasts the entire game is it not not that it doesn't last the entire game obviously all of them do um except for ones that that literally stop working like um, monument to the gods is ancient and classical yeah. god of the forge is ancient and classical um but but besides those they obviously do last the entire game but it's not necessarily meant to be incredibly strong throughout the entire game earth goddess got stronger as the game went on it, it got even better and that's the case with a couple of them like uh, say divine spark the more of the buildings you build that give great person points the more great person points you'll gather um earth goddess was a particularly strong offender with that though the idea behind pantheons is that it is early game religion it is ancient and classical era religion when pantheons of multiple gods from the norse from the egyptians from uh the greco-romans those kinds of of groups were were very prevalent and and obviously all over the world i'm, I'm naming you know eurocentric civilizations there but this is it was not an isolated phenomenon this was all over the place but usually older um and then in medieval and renaissance you saw the evolution of monotheologies and that's the intention behind the pantheon to religion formula that we have in the game so those pantheons are meant to be more early game focused for the most part and so seeing that most people were picking earth goddess and that earth goddess was providing more faith uh in in large quantities as the game progressed and that it was providing faith in such large quantities really was a driving factor behind that particular balance change, which in this case was a nerf. No one likes nerfs. We like to keep the game strong. Again, that, that was the thing behind the new Frontier <laughs> Pass getting crazier and crazier with the sieves, right? We have some really uh, wild things, big ideas, and it's a ton of fun. Um, but it, there's there's a scale to it, and um, we do sometimes have to have to rein things in a little bit, too. I justified that nerf, man. Everybody was picking it. Why? Would, and, and the fact that stone circles was was two faith as well for stone tiles. And the fact, like, if you take the amount of breathtaking tiles and the amount of stone tiles, right? Those are not even close to each other. And so I felt like that was a much needed nerf when it happened. I was like, yeah, like, dude, that was awesome. Like, thank God, because everyone's also picking like, this. It's getting ridiculous. I think preserves also made it over because you can create new breathtaking right. tiles, right? And yeah, that right. was that was another factor behind it. Once once we knew that, uh, again, we knew that going into it, we knew creating the preserve that that would be a frequently picked pantheon going with that. But that was also part of that decision was uh, we knew that the pantheon was there uh, and we felt that it was time for a potential change. Uh, one of the uh, I know we talk about like, the community kind of says things. Have, have you ever done it like um, not necessarily the community saying something, but noticing that a certain mechanic is not being used by the community as often as you would like and and change a balance based on that like for for example like the planes example people aren't using them or someone's not using a particular unit um that you uh warrior monks it could be one the barbarian outpost you get 100 heal from killing a barbarian post i don't i never see anybody take that ever yeah um, Those are two examples. So there, there are pantheons that that fit that category. Pantheons are are not are meant to not all be created equal. That's why it's a first come first serve system. Fair. So there are some that are intentionally meant to be towards the bottom of the list. There, um, we do think that keeping it mildly equalized is somewhat important. Again, that that goes into the Earth Goddess nerf and Goddess of the Harvest nerf. Uh, once we removed that a, a couple months ago. We, we do want things to be 
choices between multiple things. And sometimes that does mean bringing things back and sometimes that does mean bringing them up. And that could be because they're not being used, like you're saying. I can't think of any specific examples off the top of my head where that has been the case, where we go, this thing isn't being used, we need to address it. Most of the time, we're hearing about it being used in some respect. It's just not always necessarily in a, in a positive uh, manner of feedback. Hermetic order, for example, right? We got a lot of feedback on hermetic <laughs> order. <laughs> I thought that was going to come up. <laughs> right. So that is an example. Like it, it wasn't being played, but at the same time it was. People were saying, I'm picking this and I'm not finding – Ley lines. I'm picking this and it doesn't feel strong. And then I'm no longer picking this because of those things. So it definitely hermetic order was picked the least out of the three or out of all four, the three other secret societies. So that warranted a balance change there. But that doesn't mean that there was a lack of feedback or even a lack of screenshots or save game files or things like that being delivered to us uh, through the forums. And, and so we still had plenty of data points there. Um, same thing with the airplanes. Like back at launch, you know, yes, people weren't using airplanes very often. But part of that was because the data had already come out. People were already reporting, I've been using airplanes and they're not strong enough. They don't do enough damage. And the investment, the production investment into the district and then the unit and then the gold maintenance cost of the unit is not warranted for the effectiveness of the unit. So we still get that kind of data. I think that in nearly all cases that that is true. But the the fact that something isn't being used when we want it to be is absolutely a driving factor. We just have data on it as well. And my last burning question I had about all the data you collect, which is the autoplays, um, which I think some of our fans would like to know is during your autoplays is is Coupe. Um, oh as bad <laughs> as Van Bradley's um, um, bracket match he's had because Coupe was like Coupe was like notoriously horrible in that bracket. He just kept like settling cities all over the place and um, not really uh, collecting himself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so our our autoplays, uh, our our autoplay testing is managed by our um, AI engineers. So I don't actually interact with that directly and I don't see the logs. And stuff. Okay. It's actually more helpful for okay. them because they they set up the automated the scripts for the automated testing and then they gather the logs directly from that and compare them. It, it cuts out the middleman to have us not in the equation. Right. It saves some time there. I don't know. I'm able to see them sometimes like when we were in the office before uh, COVID happened, the autoplay machines were set up um, in hallways so that people could could watch them. And sometimes, you know, I would be on my That's way cool. to or from That's a meeting sick. and I would stop and I would stand there and watch them play sometimes. So yeah, that was interesting. I think that, uh, that Coupe's um, settling has always been a little bit suboptimal. I don't know the extent to that. And I also don't know the evolution of that over time. So for example, um, I don't recall what it was that we were talking about earlier, but the, I had I had thought of this, but I forgot to bring it up. There are often ripple effects from from changes. I think it was I think it was when we were talking about going back and rebalancing something, right? So there are whenever you change something, there's ripple effects from it, and and that's that's whether it's in a single iteration or 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 multiple iterations. It can have ripple effects across multiple systems every single time, and some of them are. Un, unintended and some of them are unseen until later, right? Especially if it's a more niche case. 
So when we are, are working on something, there might be ripple effects into a system like AI settling, right? So we might have something that, that improves the quality of one tile over another all of a sudden because of a district that's come out or because of a wonder that's come out or any number of things like that that might be having an impact on it. And so the AI's behavioral trees are taking something into account that it wasn't before and so now that they're changing. So I don't know the, the precise or even imprecise uh, path of, of um, Coupe's settling behavior. But uh, I, I do think it has probably been a little bit suboptimal in a big picture sense um, since he's come out. I have a quick question I don't if about AI. I don't know if you can answer it. If you can't, that's totally cool. Um, I just I'm curious how they work on a high level is you said you mentioned you just mentioned behavioral trees. So is it that every leader has as an has like their own agenda apart from the actual agenda, but their own agenda of like how much I want science, how much I want to settle cities, how much I want uh, military. Is, and it kind of just prioritizes on the fly. Is that how it works? Um, so I'm no AI engineer, but as, as I understand it, there's there's all kinds of things that are getting weighed in at any given point. Um, and, and so they'll be running an operation for something and they might have to change because of a new input. And that could be a war is declared or a wonder was stolen or a wonder becomes available or a district becomes available. There's so many things happening at SIB all the time, right? So many things. And even for a human player, unless you're, you know, you are a SIB uh, streamer that, or, or CPL player that is playing the game all the time at really high levels. And so you know exactly what, you know, what the timing is and you remember the production numbers and the exact unlocks and everything. Um, if you're not one of those players, there's a lot to remember. Even if you are one of those players, there's a lot to remember. And it's it's hard to do. But especially if you're not one of those players, and you're just playing casually. There's so much to remember. And I, I see questions all the time about, you know, little, little things that as, as somebody who plays the game all the time, I'm very familiar with, but I can totally understand how somebody who doesn't play it all the time isn't as familiar with it. When does this happen? How does that happen? When do I settle more cities? When do I start building universities? When, how do I prioritize universities, right? And so the AI at the same time is getting the same kind of inputs. They're getting, okay, I have to pick my tech. I have to pick my civic. I have to do this wonder. I have war declared over here. I want to declare war over here. And the units have to go different ways and all these different things. And the, the AI behavioral trees have to evaluate all of these different inputs at the same time, all the time, and course correct constantly, right? Mm. <laughs> it's a complicated system. Like I said, I'm no AI engineer, but I applaud the work that our team does for that. Uh, I think that, that they do excellently with the um, the sheer quantity of stuff that that the ai has to handle uh and that overall our ai performs very well with all of that considered and over the course of the new frontier pass we've been constantly making ai iterations every single uh, release that we've had has had ai changes every single balance patch that we have had and free community update that we've had has had ai iterations and i've seen even our top level players in the streaming community say after every single one literally every single release they go the AI has gotten better. I've seen the AI start doing this thing better or start doing this thing better every single time. Um, and that's been really awesome to see because I know that 
that our, our AI engineers have put so much time and effort into it, uh, really trying to address the areas of feedback that we're getting from the community about places that the AI has been weak. And uh, that's something that, that we really wanted to, to come out with strong out of the gate and continue to support throughout the life of the new Frontier Pass. I think the AI gets a lot of flack. I think a lot of people like to complain about it because it's easy. It's so easy to claim, complain about AI when you don't understand it. So <laughs> it's a good I don't point. know. Like, I, I'm, a, I'm a programmer, right? So like I kind of understand a little bit of AI. Like I understand on a very high level. And I always tell people, I'm like, dude, it's way more complicated than you think. You'll change one thing and like 20 billion other things is going to change. And suddenly right. like it, it, it doesn't work anymore. Um, so I think like, people don't. just underestimate how complicated the decision tree has to be in a game like Civ, right? Like it took us a lot, a while to build a computer that can beat human players at chess, right? But chess has a finite number of possible combinations. Whereas, yes, like the number of possible combinations that civilization has makes that look like, you know, a walk in the park by comparison to expect like the AI to like start trumping human players that are playing at very high levels. I think is a little bit unfair that and I and emphasis on little bit because that's not that it's sure, actually really sure. unfair. So. And, and even even then, they do still trump them at times. Um, I was watching a stream just earlier today where a DD level AI uh, turned around and um, declared war on the human player and, and made their game go in a very unexpected direction. Um, not what they were planning on trying to do. And it, it made them have to completely change uh, their own course. The same exact thing happened to AI. Right. The AI will have a plan. They'll be working on something that they want to do. A human player will declare war. Another AI player will declare war and they have to completely change. Now, granted, deity level AI has tons of bonuses that makes that way easier. But there's still so many decisions that have to go into that. Like you're saying, they have to suddenly change all of those inputs uh, and say, okay, well, now I need to change my production. I need to change you know, where these units are going and how they're moving and, and all of those different things all at the same time. There's there's a lot for the system to handle. And people also forget that when we when we use chess as the example, the computer's also got to be programmed to think moves ahead. So not just like the decision that has to be made right now. What's the decision that's being made right now that's going to make me do a move seven moves from now? And in civilization, that becomes infinitely complicated like when as you're going down that so the computer has has to handle all that too so um yeah as someone who gets uh stomped on the diet uh by deity all the time uh, i think ai is just as hard as it should be <laughs> you know, not to mention not to mention do you want to get skynet because that's how you get skynet when civ ai gets too smart it wakes up and realizes, I know what the real solution is here. <laughs> right, we don't right. want that, okay? We can't make Civ AI well, too smart. Well, they can already smart. read our minds. It's already like reading our thoughts. Read our yeah, it's already looking at our brain patterns and the, our eye movement. You know, I, I, who knows? Like, we play Civ so much. You know, some of us play six, seven hours a day. Not really, but yeah, we do. <laughs> some people, some people do. do. You know, when it's four in the morning, that's when it gets most of its inter information from you. <laughs> Just one more turn. One more turn. turn. One more turn. Yes. Right. One one more more turn. turn. <laughs> Give Skynet more. I, I experience one more turn working on the game. I you bet. know, it'll hit, it'll hit, it'll hit quitting time. And I'll be like, oh, but this just, you know, I have, I have this one more thing to do. And that could be a task that could be like, I have this one more thing to test, or it could literally just be as a player, somebody playing the game, um, 
you know, I want to complete this wonder. I want to complete this uh, era or whatever it happens to be. And it leads to another thing and it leads to another thing. And before I know it, it's been, you know, more time. Let's play so. a, a quick game of Civ, said no one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's a solution, guys. <laughs> Casinos figured it out. All you got to do, turn off your phone, get rid of all your clocks and blank out your windows. You won't be able to tell what time it is. And there you go. Problem solved. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to move on to some community <laughs> sure. questions okay let's let's do that i i caught one in the chat that i really enjoyed and i know i know i think you have an answer for uh it was from let me take a look real quick stogie it was from stogie uh they wonder if they have any folks on staff with degrees or training in history or if they get consultants carl me yeah it wasn't um, carl. Yeah, yeah so um uh, I uh, have a, a Bachelor of Arts in uh, classical culture, so that's Greco-Roman culture, and in Latin. Um, and I've, I have been able to put that to use working on the game, particularly in uh, Mediterranean civs. And it's awesome. It feels awesome getting to use it um, that way. You know, It's not the way that I intended. It's not the way that I expected uh, to go in life. <laughs> but uh, getting to use my education further the flavor um, – and historical accuracy of of the content that we have in the game has, really feels fantastic. And I am absolutely not the only one. We have tons of experts on different areas of history and civilization, whether it's amateur or professional um, interest levels of interest um, and and knowledge. Uh, we we absolutely have that represented. Yeah. But sorry, real quick. But we we do still have experts. We do still bring in experts, and we talk to experts about various things. If we're missing. Um, uh, if there's a, if there's a piece of historical information that we're missing, we do talk to experts for it. Or if we just want to double check, you will talk to experts for that too. So the, the answer is yes to both. Sorry. Continue. So yeah, where did, where, so then where did you learn uh, QA and, and programming if it wasn't through school? So, um, QA was luck. Um, this is an interesting story. I actually didn't anticipate telling this story tonight, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell the story of, of how I uh, <laughs> okay, started it at Firaxis. So um, I, I have been a longtime Civ fan. Um, I think my first Civ was Civ 4 in high school. I was actually uh, – I, I played. I no longer play, but I played French horn, and I was in band class. Um, and, uh, one of the other, uh, players, French horn players, uh, was like, Hey, have you ever heard of this game civilization? And I was like, no, you know, what is it? What does it do? And he was like, it's like the coolest thing you go through history and, and you can have all, all the history is, uh, anachronistic and you can have it at, at different things, different times. So you can have like tanks fighting knights and you can have battleships fighting wooden frigates. And I was like, that sounds awesome. And I would have played that game. So I, I did. I went and I bought it and I played it and I loved it. And I played it all through high school. And I played the expansions and all of it. Well, then I went to college and Civ Five was announced. And uh, I, I lost it. Um, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. I was reading every single press release that came out about the game. And, um, you know, the fact that like they were they were bringing in language experts to do the, the voice recordings in the actual languages of the of the leaders that they spoke at the, at the historical time. I was like, that is the coolest thing. And now that's what we do for all for all the leaders. Right. We've been doing that ever since. But at the time, that was new and it was so cool to hear about. So I was so excited. And I was like, I'm buying this game and I'm buying this game for all of my friends 
because I want to play multiplayer with them. Cause <laughs> they, they were all like, I had multiple friends who were interested in the game, but they were like, I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's college. We're all broke kids. And they were like, I don't know if I want to spend the money on it. And I was like, it's okay. Christmas present. Wow. So yeah. So I went and I, I bought the game for everybody call. and, um, and had it shipped to their houses I, of course, got the special edition uh, that came with all the, like, the little miniatures and, and the soundtrack and the art book and everything. And and all of theirs arrived on launch day because I, I paid for overnight shipping. Mine did not. Did not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? So, um, so I was like, I have to play. I can't not play Civ on launch day. I was dying for it. I'd been dying for it for months. I couldn't wait. I didn't have a car. At this at this point in, in college, I did later, but not at this point. And it was after the buses had stopped. So I walked to the mall to to GameStop and I bought a copy of the game and I walked home and I played it all night long and uh, I had a great time. It was a great time playing it. And then when my copy finally arrived, I took the, the game key from that and the disc that I had bought and gave it to a different friend. So even somebody else had it and we played all these multiplayer games and everything. Yeah, that was, that was, uh, my Civ, uh, career up until that point. Oh, and Civ Rev. I had played Civ Rev a ton when it came out, obviously on, um, on Xbox 360 at the time. So then I graduated the, uh, first expansion gods and Kings had not come out yet. And, um, I moved to Maryland, uh, looking for work and, um, I met somebody who at the time was working at Firaxis and uh, they said, do you want me to pass along your resume? And I said, yeah, obviously. But like wow. we were both Civ fans. We started <laughs> yes. talking and we were like, oh, this, this is such a great game. And it's like, well, that's where I work. And um, it was, yeah, <laughs> so cool. honest, honest to God, it was, it was total chance uh, that I met this person. Well, I, I landed my interview and I went in and I, talked to them, uh, talked to the, the interviewers, and I told them this exact story. I said, I walked to the mall to buy like a fifth copy of <laughs> Civ Five because I had to play it that day when my um, special edition did not arrive. And they were, they were so impressed with my level of enthusiasm for the game. Obviously, there was a lot more to it than that. You know, I had the history degree um, and, and everything, but like I had, I had the, the, clearly had passion for the game and tons of knowledge of the game. And I already lived in the state. You know, I didn't have to be relocated or anything. I, I lived uh, uh, nearby. Um, so there were there were several factors that went into it. But I, I think it was that story that that really did it. And um, so uh, that's how I how I got into QA, how I got my foot in the door. And and I've been there ever since. So, it's you know, I, it's been a long road of, of learning. Um, and I've also self-taught myself how to program since then. Um, that is also an ongoing process. There's so much to learn. Um, but um, a lot of that it just is means you're a programmer. Like, like, come on. Right. A lot of you, it. You a lot of it is self-taught yeah. since then uh, or, or on job training. But um yeah. So if, I mean, for people who are interested in this kind of thing, like who, you know, is a big part of it, but, but always, um, reach out and apply and, and keep trying. You know, I, I get questions. How do I apply to Veraxis all the time? Any job listings we have are always up on our website. Um, so go there, check and, uh, you know, 
keep trying, keep educating yourself, keep learning and keep following your passions because um, that makes a difference. Hey man, thanks for the yeah. insight. Yeah. That, that was a cool great. story That's though. A good story. <laughs> that was a very <laughs> cool story. <laughs> okay. Let's move on to another community question here. I like, this is a good one from Kiwi Mullet Boy. I like your name, by the good way. Good old Kiwi. Uh, are there any additions to the game that didn't make it in that you were really hoping to add? Um, so the interesting thing about New Frontier Pass is that with it being on a faster release schedule, we were able to react to things quicker than we, we would otherwise. And um, because things were coming out, you know, we, have, we would have one release and then there were many releases ahead of that. Um, that gave us the opportunity to to make changes on stuff that was coming up. So, for example, we released the free Tech and Civic Shuffle mode uh, and got a lot of really positive response to that. And that again, that one was one of the free community updates. But we had plans for a, a scenario that was further down the line. We've had a, a fair amount of success with scenarios in the past. The um, if people are unfamiliar with them, uh, the Black Death and War Machine scenarios that came out in Gathering Storm um, are very popular. They're excellent. Um, I know you guys are history buffs. If you have not played War Machine, it's only two players, but highly recommend it. World War One multiplayer scenario. It is excellent. Oh, very cool. fun. Um, okay. And uh, play some play some period appropriate music for yourself in the background. Um, it very very much heightens <laughs> the experience. But, um, you know, we, we released uh, Red Death Season 2 at the beginning of the New Frontier Pass. We released uh, the Pirate Scenario, and those have also had a ton of success. Um, but when we did free, the free tech and civic shuffle mode, we got a lot of feedback that this was the kind of thing that, that people really wanted. Um, and it, w- it had a better reception than the scenarios did. So we were able to uh, course correct on that and go, okay, rather than coming out with a scenario later, um, what can we do instead? And we, we changed that into the... Um, the Barbarian Clans mode, um, which has also been a free update, free community update. And uh, yeah, so that, yes, there are absolutely things that we we did change as a result of the community feedback over the course of the New Frontier Pass. And it's been really great to get that level of feedback and make those kinds of changes to drive the the content that we're delivering to you guys. We're loving it. I like, just a comment, like I remember when like the Aztec came out and I think Nubia, being a bit skeptical about the direction that that you guys were taking uh, that like i felt like as a civ fan like well you know i just bought this upgrade and now you're gonna make me pay for this and i didn't like it so much i still got it you know uh but i didn't like it so much but then i gotta say and i think the the other host would agree the way that you guys did the frontier pass was just awesome um you know it was the civ has been a great investment for because it's so much fun and I've used it tons. You know, I have games I don't play that often. That's not true for Civ. But then the Frontier Pass, like I feel that you guys had like a big turning point with how you viewed the community and like you became one with the community once the mm-hmm. Frontier Pass because like we were all like, this is great. Like, well, like I like we all got ours right at the beginning. We paid right away uh, and and seeing it as an investment and knowing that every couple of months. Oh, 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 oh what's it going to be? And every time not being disappointed. And I just like I'm a bit I'm a business buff. So I just loved that for Fraxis marketing. I thought that was genius. 
And I, I, I think I'm guessing you guys found the community responded way, way more favorably to the Frontier Pass than doing the one offs. Yeah. So whoever came up with that, I guess you came up with that. Carl. <laughs> Not me. Uh, that, was a, <laughs> that was a genius move. Yeah. And I, I, I hope we see more of that. But like, yeah. And with and such anticipation, like where we were excited, like where it might be hard to go to sleep. Because we were excited. Oh, Thursday release day. Um, and every time, never disappointed. Never disappointed. Yeah. So that's not a question. That's just more of a bravo. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we wanted to build content on a more frequent basis and allow us to react to fan feedback quicker uh, than a standard expansion format. Um, and and that was a huge driving factor behind this. We, we definitely wanted to have that, that kind of community outreach you know, like I said, we, we have always been reading forums, listening to fan feedback and incorporating that into our patches and our designs. Um, but doing the new Frontier Pass monthly release cycle allowed us to um, interact with it more directly than we ever have before um, and respond to things faster because it's it is every single month and has been every single month. And that's been awesome for us. So, you know, building and delivering a season pass with monthly content was a new undertaking for the studio, but it's been hugely successful. Um, and, and that's awesome that everybody has enjoyed it so much. Um, during the first month of launch, we saw more people jump on and play the game on a daily basis. Than we did for either rise and fall or the gathering storm expansions, which is huge. Wow. I noticed that. Yeah. Yes. yes. Um, and then the daily active, uh, Civ six players has increased over time, which is no small feat in the fifth year of the product's life cycle. That's yeah. the yeah, blows my Yeah, that's the genius that's part of it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think part of that is also the, uh, um, I was going to say the game modes, because like, I know we talk about like, you know, giving new civs every single time. My favorite part is like finding out what the new game mode's going to be. Yeah. Um, and, and what kind of uh, spice that adds to the game. Um, especially he since loves it allows you to be, <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. That and, and uh, I understand um but uh especially since it allows it to be, the game to be more flexible like that's why the newest one the zombie one so that's like you know that that just struck me as like the developers just trying to have fun with the game yeah um just come up with something yeah. like that's just crazy and fun um and 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 see what happens because you don't have to you know because you know zombies don't really exist hopefully um and so <laughs> <laughs> not yet uh, it's like so, that yeah. skynet we were talking about earlier right <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> i love too though that we've also gotten to know the development team because you guys use yeah. yourselves in the commercials yeah, and i fun. love that like yeah so it's like you didn't hire actors or anything you didn't say hey sean bean come up from the basement we need you because uh, i'm guessing you guys keep them in your basement something like that um <laughs> we, we got to, we got to meet all of you uh and i think there's like usually a new face each time yeah, too yeah uh so i just we enjoyed your commercials like I'm glad they were to hear great that. yeah it's been it's been so much fun filming them um well whether we were doing them at home initially and we were able to do things like include our pets in them or when we started yeah, going back into the great. office and filming them there and we were able to do more things like effects and props, which, you know, you guys are all familiar <laughs> with those videos at this point. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a ton of fun uh, getting to film all of those and, and getting to participate in that. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been awesome to, to try out the different game modes, um, both as, as from a design perspective and, and as a, as a player myself. Um, and yes, zombie mode is absolutely a situation of, of us wanting to do something that's just a little bit different and, and fun. Secret Society is the same kind of thing, right? Like that's sort of a, 
there is some historical reference for some things, uh, right? Like um, Illuminati and, and um, uh, alchemists and things yeah, like that. Um, well, yeah, the, the ley lines, right? Like right. The, where all the wonders are supposed to be. I thought it would be cool if like if all the wonders built in the game made like new ley lines because they all like line up or something. <laughs> That'd be cool. That'd be cool. There's an idea there. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, trying trying to, to mess with things in a in a um, somewhat ahistorical manner like that has been has been a ton of fun. But at the same time, we knew that there was there was a lot of demand um, and desire for historical modes. And so that's, that's been a driving factor as well. So we wanted to have a good mix of those kinds of things and, and throw some, some, uh, twists in there that, that players weren't expecting. And zombies has, has absolutely been a good example of that. Um, I know that prior to the release, like after we announced zombies, but prior to the release of the DLC, there was a lot of, um, um, skepticism about the, the game mode and people saying, I, you know, I don't know about it. And since it's come out, I don't think I've seen a single negative thing about it. Now, granted, I can't look through 100% of the posts and comments that people make. So I'm sure that they're out there, but there have been so many positive responses to it. I, I was seeing even just today, I've been seeing people's comments saying, you know, I've been playing with the zombies mode and I, I like it way more than I thought I was going to. And I think a big part of that is because like every single game of zombies is a little bit different, right? So sometimes you have, almost no zombies at all. And sometimes you have that kind of zombie apocalypse situation where it's just, there's a ton of them and they're just coming at you all the time. But the game we played just this past Sunday, which had zombies mode turned on, there were some, but it was, I don't think it was ever overwhelming. They were mostly manageable. Most of the time annoying, annoying for you at at times, attacking your walls constantly, (laughs) but, but they never like captured a city of yours. And we never had these massive waves come through. And I don't think we even built barricades and stuff like that to, to have to defend, but those options are still there. And I love being able to use those defensive, uh, improvements that are new to that game mode in general gameplay ways that have nothing to do with the zombie mode whatsoever. Um, and, you know, getting to build these lines of defense against like playing on a, on a DD level game and building these lines of defense, like especially if there's mountain passes or something, you can barricade them up and stuff. Oh, it's so much fun to be able to, to do this kind of tower defense setup um, or playing as China since China's great wall improvement automatically counts as a barricade. I remember the first time that we implemented that in the game and I was testing it. I, I wasn't actually testing for that effect i was just playing and china ended up as one of the random civilizations that i had and zombie mode was enabled where every single game mode or every single game we played at the time had zombie mode enabled and uh so i uh i was neighbors with china and they came over and settled way way too close to my territory so i went over and i attacked them um i think i was playing as gaul gaul's as I said this past Sunday, uh, Gaul is very good against uh, Zombies mode because they can build two defensive districts and they get additional combat strength for adjacent units. So I went over to a, to uh, capture their cities and they had built great walls everywhere. Great walls as barricades exert zone of control so they stop your unit movement. So my units that I thought I would be marching straight up on roads that I had, I had sent traders in, so I thought I'd be marching straight up to their cities and attacking, had to stop in every single tile along the way to their cities. And the city and their encampments and their yeah. archers were just taking shot after shot after shot at my units. 
decimated my army. It was it was like the most brutal defeat in a war that I have tried to fight. I think I've ever gotten. And it was such a cool moment. It was just like their actual Great Wall was doing its job as a Great Wall and defending them. It felt really, really cool. And that was just the first time that I ever experienced it. I've experienced that kind of thing a lot since then. And I, I think that the, the game mode is still young, so we'll see a lot of a lot more posts and comments and things about that exact kind of setup as we continue. I really hope people continue to play with zombies mode because ultimately zombies are just a, a different take on on barbarians, right? They're, it just adds a little bit more challenge to the barbarian game. And uh, I think that people could have a ton of fun with the defensive improvements, um, approaching zombies as barbarians, um, even for those people who are skeptical about it. One last question, Carl, before we wrap up, because we are running out of time. Oh, man, I, I didn't even know notice a... it flew by. <laughs> I know. I know. I want to I want to know, Carl, and your this is a I want to hear a personal opinion on this as a person who is a part of the content creator community. I think you've been a part of TGM's community for a very, very long yeah. time, and he's been streaming Civ forever. And now that with the New Frontier Pass coming out, we've seen a surge of content creators with both Peppermint Butler, ourselves, Foibles, Van Bradley, 100 Games, 100 Days, uh, Onspot. Every, like, there's an incredible amount of people. All the CPL people. people, yeah. All the CPL people. Did you expect the amount of content creators that to come out of New Frontier Pass? Was that part of the plan? And how do you feel as being a part of the community as well? Um, so we knew that having the, the regular monthly releases would increase player engagement, uh, as a whole, right? Part of that was, um, was focused on content creation. We, we already had a, a, a good streaming community. We had, um, we had streamers like, uh, the game mechanic, um, spiffing Brit, uh, potato McWhiskey, um, some really awesome people already out there make quill already out there making content for the game. Um, we knew that having this kind of monthly release schedule would mean that there would be um, more for uh, content creators to create content about regularly, more often, um, but also at the player level, right? Like if, if we release a, a big expansion, there's a ton, there's a surge at, at first, and then it dies off because um, everything has already been experienced. You get all of the sieves at once. You get whatever new systems are all at once. And you just dive into it. Bam, 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 bam. And that's it, right? With this kind of monthly release schedule, we have been able to keep everybody on the hook um, with uh, you know everyone's excitement about what's coming out next, like you were talking about, hearing about the next sieve, hearing about the next, um, the next game mode. But also experiencing those things as they as they do come out, trying different combinations, playing as different sieves and different game modes, playing different game modes with other game modes, um, playing things without any game modes, just at the base level, new map scripts, the scenarios that have come out, all kinds of different things all at the same time. Um, and and we did do that intentionally so that we would we would keep that level of engagement. We would be able to provide more for content creators. Um, and we've heard nothing but positive feedback about that. And it's been really, really awesome um, for us to see that the community has been that excited about it and to have that level of, of um, positivity and excitement about the game. And then how do you feel uh, as part of the community? How does that make you feel? Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, when releases come out, that's the that's the best part. It's the most rewarding part. It's why I'm in everybody's streams all the time. 
um, you know, getting this. Well, obviously, it's part of the job as well. Hearing the feedback, hearing the bugs, seeing them, you know, firsthand. Right. People will test things for me. That's awesome. You know, when I'm in somebody's stream and they're like, hey, we just got this bug. Let's, you know, let's see what happens when we do this. Uh, TGM for science. And, um, yeah. the, you know, they'll, they'll actually test it for me or I can get a save from the streamer. That's that's been really great, too. But, um, you know, hearing all the excitement, hearing all the positive comments and feedback and everything from, from people firsthand has been awesome. And it's, it's absolutely the most rewarding part. And it's why we do this, uh, because we have such an awesome, amazing community. Okay, I lied. There is one more question. I hear that there is an April release yes. coming out, Mr. Mr. Harrison. Yes. Two-thirds of all of the civilizations are uh, getting changed. Uh, can we can we get like some insight on this? Like So um yeah, well, there's there's uh, a, a, the biggest um, community, free community update that we've had for the new Frontier Pass will be coming out in April. Um, tons of things to be excited for there i can't talk about any specifics unfortunately um but but i do know that anton has already said in a few interviews that it is the biggest community patch that we've had and and or community update that we've had so that is true it's the biggest one um and i i think that people are going to be really happy um with some of the stuff that's coming out so so stay tuned keep keep watching all the social media channels for for access for that uh announcement once it comes out and we really look forward to everybody getting that uh later this month oh so excited for that yeah so excited excited. very excited carl dude thank you so much for being on the show really really appreciate it you gave some amazing stories today oh thank you and i'm sure that everybody every everyone in the chat right now is thankful for your work thankful for civilization and 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 for being on the show so thank you very much uh carl it's been my pleasure thank you very much for having me yeah everyone's clapping at home right now aren't you? we know you are guys we know you're clapping at home uh so why don't you uh take us take us out absolutely us absolutely well thank you very much again carl and it was really fun playing playing you on sunday i look forward to our next bout um where i can attack you with knights and all that glory uh but anyways <laughs> moy why don't you tell everybody about that tweeting bird you keep trying to capture it gets away every time that tweeting bird. Well, you can, that tweeting bird is also known as Twitter. You can follow us on our Twitter at the Civ Show. It's where we like to post the most up to date civilization. We'll retweet civilization and the Civ Show updates. So be sure to follow us at the Civ Show. And of course, uh, Nystagmus, you're still doing those test tube experiments. How's that working out? Uh, it's going pretty good. You can always check out our YouTube channel. Um, that's where we, uh, if you miss any of our streams, that's where all the VODs go up. Um, all the different creators of the Civ Show also create YouTube videos. So we have the Raising Reviews, Moy makes reaction videos, and I absolutely do promise that another better Noah Leaders uh, video it's is coming. coming. So I also it's have that series me. as well. So definitely check it out, subscribe, and ring the bell. Ring that bell. I'm always going to sing that song. <laughs> no, and of course, if you're mad. looking for the more intimate connection to the Civ Show community, join us on our Discord. It is the watering hole of the Civ Show community. People gather for all sorts of reasons, from pet picks to talking about Civ. Uh, and of course, as you know, we now have five days of Civ Show fun. Five days of Civ Show fun, starting with the Civ Show every Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard. Time. Uh, we got Mondays afternoon 
uh, tea with nystagmus. Uh, I think that's what, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yeah. Good morning, amenities, with yours truly raising Zozo around 9 a.m. on Tuesdays, Eastern Standard Time. And of course, you can join Moy at Night on Wednesdays, 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Crack a beer with Moy. And of course, we close every week, and I don't know if we're going to have another week like this, uh, with the Civ Podcast, 10.30 Eastern Standard Time. Thank you all so much. Hit that subscribe button for here, uh, us on Twitch as well. And uh, man, we got and we got an exciting show, don't we, coming up on Sunday? Yeah, we, uh, we have on Sunday, we have, uh, we have an Australia or Oceania, rather. Australia. The Oceania. <laughs> versus North America, or Canada, I guess, in this case. We're going to have Canada. feature Sophie Quest, 100 Games, 100 Days, and SG Nanime, all on the same show. 3v3, wow. the North American boys and the Oceania people over there. So that's going to be on Sunday. And a little bit of a sneak peek. Crikey! Next Thursday, uh, we have uh, we have Jeff Knorr on the podcast <gasps> next wow. Thursday. So stay tuned for that. What? Phyrexis Week! Phyrexis Week! It's Phyrexis Week! 